We are so honored to be here, just excited. We've been looking forward to this time to uh, be in Vermont, be at this uh, great college, and to be with you folks in chapel today. You kind of see a little bit about what we're doing. Uh, we travel around the country, uh, find a vacant parking lot, put up a sign, our friends that make the crosses, every time we leave, they load us up, load the trailer full. And uh, it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen because uh, it's like a magnet. We're not knocking on doors, which is nothing wrong with that, but they come to us. We just have the sign out on the street. We're not making anybody stop. They stop, and then we're in an immediate spiritual conversation because they're stopping for a cross, right? And so uh, when we do that, uh, we give them a cross. We get to talk to them a little bit, tell them how the crosses are made. And we always ask this question. After we give them the cross, we say, could I ask you a question? It's always good to ask permission when you're talking to people, not be too pushy. We say, have you come to the place in your life where you know for certain if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Based on their response, uh, we proceed with a short gospel presentation. I shared it with, uh, with Curtis and Jake yesterday in the uh, personal evangelism class, and I appreciate Jacob letting us uh, teach that yesterday. And uh, it's, uh, you know, people are stopping and we don't, we don't take up their time. They didn't wake up in the morning planning to stop and get across. So we know we just have a limited amount of time. They may be on their way to work. They may be going to pick up kids or they have an errand, a doctor's appointment or something. So I asked them, if you have two minutes, I'd love to share with you how I came to know I have eternal life and, uh, and receive that gift. If you would like to uh, hear that, love to share it. Many of them at that point will say, yeah, go ahead, because they're uncertain themselves. They've already given us like a works answer if they've given us anything. And uh, so this year already, thank, praise God, we've seen nearly 600 people saved this year on the streets uh, in America. And I'm going to tell you something before I preach this morning. Outside the walls, and you know it here in Vermont probably better than anywhere else, but outside the walls of our churches and our buildings, Humanity really is just streaming by, and they're really in a desperate search for truth. You and I have it. The problem with American Christians today is most of us never share it. We keep it to ourselves. What a, what a tragedy. We've got this vast army of believers, and we, uh, we just get caught up in our own little world, and we never really do what God's called us to do. So if nothing else today, I want to challenge you. Share your faith, your story of how you came to Christ. Find ways of doing it. We found a way that works for us, and I realize not everybody's called to do what we're doing, but we are all called by the Lord to reach out. It's our job, it's our duty, and it's our responsibility. And look, I look at it as our great privilege in this life to represent the one who saved us. So thank you so much. That's a little bit about that. <clears throat> Let me tell you one story about it real quickly before I bring a short message to you this morning. We were in uh, Palmer, Alaska, and uh, we had been to uh, Fairbanks and Anchorage and Wasilla and different places around there. They were having the state fair in Palmer, and uh, we thought this would be a good opportunity to reach some local people, not tourists. So we found a street uh, leading into Palmer. We got a good location. We set up the crosses like we always do, had the signs out there. My wife's down on the side of the highway with a sign just says free crosses. It's very important. It doesn't seem like it's a, a, a big job or responsibility but it, because it, I hate to say it, but it lures people in, all right? They, 
They want to see a free cross, they come. And uh, this couple stopped by in an old truck, and it was a lady driving, I'd say in her mid-30s, and her fiancé. And uh, I went to the window uh, of the passenger side and talked to uh, the fiancé, and I said, uh, uh, you know, would y'all like for a yes, and ask him the question. He said, yes, I know, but she doesn't. And he pointed at her. He said she was raised Catholic, but he said she's going, thank you so much. He's going, she's going through a rough time right now. She's depressed. She's lost a child. And, uh, you know, those of you who are parents, uh, like my wife and I, you know what, how precious a child is and to lose one is just heartbreaking. And uh, I asked her, I said, well, could I, I'm so sorry for your loss. We talked about it. And I said, could I share some good news with you? And she said, yes. Yeah. So I shared the gospel with her. And in doing so, uh, it was one of those times, Dr. Ballard, where, you know, tears are streaming and they can barely even speak. And as I led her in a sinner's prayer, I, I would wait until she was able to go ahead and continue praying. And after we got through, she was wiping the tears from her face and smiling, and she said, thank you. And she said, can I hug you? And I said, sure, you know. So she hugged me, and she pointed down the road about 40 or, 40 or 50 feet or down the road or maybe a 50 yards, I'm not sure. She said, is that your wife? And I said, yes. She said, can I go hug her too? And I said, please, she'd love it. So she walks out on the highway where my wife is, and I look out there, and they're, they're hugged up, and I know my wife. She's also praying with her because she'll find out. She's a nurse. She's going to find out every medicine you're on right now if you talk to her before the conversation's <laughs> over. All right, I know her. So I knew she was going to find out any details because that's just her nature. And so I, they were down there for a while, and I knew she was praying with her. And then later we come back. We're sitting on the tailgate of the truck. It slowed down a little bit, and Valerie says, do you know her story? I said, all I know is that she's lost a child and uh, that she gave her heart to Christ today. She said, yeah. She said, but here's the thing. Said She told me that she was so depressed. She said she'd been telling her fiancé, I can't live any longer. I can't stand it any longer. And she said she got up that morning and told him, and with her intention, that day, was to take her life. She said, I can't go any longer. She's riding down the highway in her old truck and they look out and they see my wife with a sign that says free crosses. She told her fiance, I gotta turn around and talk to those people. So they drove up and that's where they came in. And I think, it still gives me the chills to think about it. What if we weren't there that day? Maybe she would have taken her life. But instead she found real life in Christ. And so it's a unique thing, and I challenge you in your life to live it out, serve Christ, walk with Him, and try to diligently reach others. Uh, I'm going to uh, <coughs> share a story with you, but the story is most of the message. But it, before I do that, I want you, uh, if you, if you know Isaiah 26, 3, let me just read the verse to you this morning. It says this, and I'm sure you know it, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Do y'all believe that? You know, I got a real good lesson on that verse uh, two weeks ago, just before we left on this trip. And I want to share that with you in a moment, but 
before I do, I want you to know the world, and you know it and I know it, it's, it's not getting better, is it? We've got people that are uh, challenging everything we believe, and they're trying to codify these things into law, and they're trying to make those of us who love the Lord kind of become the outcast of society more so than we've ever been before. We're in, a, we're in a critical part of history right now as we await the return of Christ. And as I shared at the church last night, you know, we're probably, probably the generation that's going to see the Lord return. And uh, because of that, we also know things are not going to improve so much. They're liable to uh, go the other way. But we have a great opportunity for one last, I think, great awakening in this land if God's army would get out there and do the job. But unfortunately, uh, we're kind of like uh, <laughs> during the Civil War. You know, uh, Lincoln had McClellan head up the army of, uh, uh, of the United States there in, uh, in Virginia, and he was training, ready to, ready to go in and fight against the, uh, our people down there, the Confederates. <laughs> he was ready to, ready to fight, and uh, Lincoln said, okay, what do you need? And uh, George would say, well, I need this and this. I need more tents, need more cannons. He'd get, he'd get them. Then uh, he, he wouldn't go fight. And he said, what else do you need? Well, I need, uh, I, gotta, I gotta train the guys a little longer. We gotta, we gotta do some more you know, work. And Lincoln said, what else you need? You know, and he, he never could get him out there on the battlefield. Finally, after months and months, George uh, McClellan went out, they fought a little while, and then they came right on back. It reminds me of the church in America today. A lot of times all we do is have conferences and speakers and stuff like that, which is a great thing, but if we don't use that to go out as the army of God and hold up the banner of Christ to this lost and dying world, what did we do it for? And I want to challenge you, my friends. They're hurting out there. You and I have the answers. Let's do it. So do you have trust? In life, just like this lady, in life, you're going to have things that are going to take you to your very core. They're going to shake your life so much that you don't even sometimes know how you're going to make it. But as believers, you know what? We're supposed to trust Christ. He's going to keep us in peace even in the darkest of storms. I want to share a story with you that happened to me, as I said, about two weeks ago. Uh, I was in my shop back in Texas. I also operate a little small woodworking shop. It's uh, what I call my tent ministry. It helps us pay our way around the country to be able to do what we're doing. And I was dealing with some uh, other business calls. <clears throat> I was talking to a friend, and a phone rang. And when I picked up the phone, I said, hello, and I could hear a woman screaming and crying. It's that scream and cry at the same time. And I said, hello, hello? You know, and it was a local uh, area code. So uh, I said, hello, hello. And finally, uh, a Hispanic voice came on, a man came on. And he said, is this Leo? And I said, yes. And uh, he didn't speak very good English, but he was speaking good English or English that I could understand. And he said, uh, uh, we have your uh, daughter here. He said, I'm not a, a GP, I want to say G, MS, MS. I want to say GPS. We have a, we're not EMS, but she's all right. She's all right. 
we have your daughter here, and I'm thinking my daughter, and I, it, it was my daughter-in-law, uh, Amy. We have your daughter-in-law here. She's all right, and I'm not an EMS, but uh, I got to tell you something. And I said, what? I said, let me talk to her. And he said, just a minute, just a minute. He said, we were doing, he said, I'm with a cartel out of Mexico. And he said, we were doing a drug deal in a parking lot. And we saw her videotaping us. She had stopped and started videotaping what was going on. And so we chased her down and we got her and we have her and you've, she's cost us about $5,000 and we need that money from you if you want to see her again. Well, what made sense to me, you think, well, that must be a scam, but what made sense to me was, as our, it was our daughter-in-law, she actually lives right next door to us. They never go anywhere, they're right there, but they had a doctor's appointment down in Houston that day. She had our two grandchildren, her, their children with her and her mother and they were going down to Houston. And I guess you read the news like I do or follow the news and we realize that we have a lot of problems with the border. And we have a lot of these cartel folks that are coming over and of course we're down in Texas and I travel along the border occasionally myself uh, with the crosses. And so it's a, little, it's, the, it's a little bit uncomfortable sometimes in some of these places. And so when I hear the screaming, it sounded like Amy and when he told me the story, I thought that she's just like that. She'd probably stop with her camera and try to videotape it. You know, you know the younger generation like y'all are in these phones all the time, and I thought that's her. And he said, I want you to listen to me. Just listen to me. He said, we're not going to hurt her if you'll do what I said. We're going to get her back to you if you'll do what I say. And I said, well, what is it? He, basically, the story was, I want you to get in your truck. What are you driving? He wanted to know what I was driving, how far I was away from uh, a place that I could give them money. And he's, I told him, I said, I don't have $5,000. He said, what do you have? I said, man, I might can, I might can scrape up 1000 And uh, at that particular moment. And he said, let me talk to my boss and come back on the phone. And they said, okay, we'll take 1000 but we, here's what I want you to do. Get in your truck right now. Do not turn this phone off. If you turn this phone off, you'll never see her again. And this thing went on for three hours. I'm going to tell you now, it was a heart-breaking, uh, pulse-pounding situation. On the phone constantly with three hours with people that I was pretty certain were part of a cartel and had my, my daughter-in-law and my grandkids and her mother. And the bottom line is, as I drove to the bank, how far are you away from uh, the bank? I went by the bank to get the money. He said, leave the phone on when you get the money. I got it. You know, how you doing today? Got the money. Went down to, uh, he said, how far are you from a Walmart? I said, 20 minutes. I want you to drive down there. I'm going to talk to you the whole way. He found out I was a preacher. He starts calling me brother. He said, I know who God is. And I said, do you? And he was trying to be nice in one way but he was insistent that I do everything he says and never turn that phone off and keep listening. Before we left, I, I, my wife and the guy that helps me in my shop, they, I'm talking to him and she's like, what's going on? And I, I just said, you know, get in the truck. I couldn't say anything, but she got in the truck and she said, my phone's in the house. This is the mistake I made, I guess. And I said, we gotta go right now. 
get in. So she got in, she's trying to figure out what's going on. I'm trying to mouth it to her and trying to write while I'm driving. And we're heading to Walmart. We get there, he tells me what to do. He gave me the names, four names of an individual in Mexico. He said, when you go into Walmart, I want you to keep the phone on and I want you to send it to this place just like this and this name. And when they ask you, who does it go? Who's it going for? You tell them it's your brother-in-law. I said, okay. He said, you tell me when you get inside the store. He said, we're 99% there. He said, if you will get this done, we'll meet you. We're about 20 minutes behind you. We're going to meet you in the parking lot. We're going to bring your your, uh, daughter-in-law back to you. And I said, okay. I said, can I talk to her? No, not until you get this done. And so I go get it done. I put the $1,000 in. I send it to the place. Yes, it's for my brother-in-law. I go back outside. What's the numbers they gave you? I gave them the numbers. So then they turned me over to the accountant thug (laughs) of the group. And he's not nearly as nice. And he said, we're having trouble with these numbers I said, look, they're legitimate. I, gave, I just put $1,000 in there. It, it's, here it is. And he said, I said, I want to talk to her. He said, just a minute. Let me get, let's make sure you got the money in here. And he finally said, okay, we got it. And uh, they put her on the phone again. Uh, and it's kind of the same thing, but I, it's no talking. I'm, I'm, not, I'm saying, Amy, Amy. And it's, ah, you know, it's like this. And I could tell she's in distress, and they said, she's not being hurt. We're not going to hurt her, but if you don't get us this money, uh, if we don't get this money, you'll never see her again. We'll put her, we'll human traffic her, and you'll never see her again. I'm sitting in a Walmart parking lot, and this verse comes to my mind. Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. And I'm praying, Lord, I dropped Valerie off at a, at a Whataburger across from Walmart so she could watch what's going on when this exchange took place. They didn't know she was in the vehicle with me. And so uh, I'm sitting there, and this guy gets really mean. He's, he said, look, the boss just called and said uh, they need another 1,000. That 1,000 is not enough. They need another 1,000. I'm thinking this, something's not right here. I'm a, if I manage to get another thousand, then they're going to ask for another thousand, another thousand. And he's getting really ugly. The language is horrible. And he tells me his boss is, uh, does not a believer in God at all. And uh, she's evil, he said, and she will not take no. He said, I, he said, I don't want to do anything to harm your daughter-in-law, but it's my job. He said, don't you understand? It's my job. I have to do what my boss says. And he said, I don't want to do it, but if I have to, I will. And he's cursing and using language that I could never use uh, with you. And uh, we get down to the, he said, are you going to do it or not? Are you going to get that other $1,000? And by now it's been like an hour and a half. And I said, uh, he said, I'm going to count to 10. And he said, when I get to zero, if you hadn't, if you hadn't answered, I'm going to hang up and you'll never see her again. I'm suspecting that that voice that I heard the second time did not, I heard a little bit of a Hispanic ending to it. And I thought, I don't think that was her or my granddaughter. 
but I don't know. And I don't know whether what's going on exactly. But I'm thinking I got another thousand. I'm gonna, uh, do I need to do it? Are they gonna want more? And is this just gonna go on and on and I'll never see her? He starts a countdown, 10, nine, this is real folks, eight, put yourself there, seven, six, five, four. He said, what's it gonna be? Three, two. I said, I'm gonna go. I'm going right now. He said, how far are you away? I said, I gotta go back another 20 minutes uh, to the bank. And I said, then I'll, he said, well, go right now. And as he knows I'm on the road, he softens up a little bit. And I, I sneak Valerie back into to the uh, truck. He hears the door open. Who, what, what, what are you opening the door for? What did I tell him? I forget. I had picked my wife up at the beauty shop or something like that. And, uh, well, you need to get on, get on down there. And so uh, we're down the road. The whole time, she's still trying to figure out what's going on. She's trying to get out of the truck because she wants to go uh, try to call somebody. And, uh, you know, uh, we're driving. And, and my plan is, you know what? Her phone's at the house. I'm five minutes from the bank. I'm going to go over there. I'll make some excuses taking me longer, and I'll drop her off. So we get over there. In the meantime, as all this is starting on the first trip, Valerie, <laughs> I guess it's programmed in her, she gets out a gospel track with Hispanic and English for me to give the guys that are going to bring them back. I'm telling you, that's what she was thinking. She had me two tracks ready, and she says, when they exchange, you make sure you give them this, you know. And uh, so we get to the house. Or was, he said, what are you doing? I said, well, there's a cement truck. It actually was one block in the road. I said, I'm having to wait. And we get to the house. We can't open the door. Bless her heart. I've got a four-wheel drive truck. We roll the window down. She's in a dress, and she gets her legs somehow or another out of the truck, and it's a pretty good drop. But she drops herself out of the truck, and then she goes to the thing, and I take off to the bank. I get the other $1,000. While I'm on my way to the bank, I'm talking uh, to this guy. And he'd already, this guy also asked me what I was. I said, I'm a preacher. And I said, man, I'm going to tell you something. I'd shared some verse. He asked me to share a verse with him. I shared Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And uh, we, were, we were talking, and I said, man, I'm going to tell you something. And this is the honest truth. I said to him, I don't know how this is going to come out. I don't know if I'll see my daughter-in-law again, but I do know one thing. If you don't know Jesus, you're not going to go to heaven you're destined for hell is where you're going to go. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, if you died right now, where, where would you go? He said, probably hell. And he said, I said, do you really understand what hell is really like? He said, no. And I, I explained to him, the fire dies not. The worm, or the fire is never quenched. The worm dieth not. He said, the worm doesn't die. And I said, no, no. I said, you're going to be in torment forever. And I said, I said, my friend, you're riding a fast horse straight to hell right now, but it doesn't have to be that way. I'm riding to the bank, and I'm sharing Christ with this guy. And honestly, in my heart, I don't know if I'm going to ever see my daughter-in-law and two of my grandkids again. But I thought, you know what? I know this. I'm at peace with God, and whatever happens is going to happen. But here's an opportunity for somebody, obviously, that needs Jesus. 
And so we talk all the way to the bank. And I get the thousand. I drive over in the parking lot of a grocery store. He said, he, he said this time I want you to FedEx or Western Union it. I'm about to get out of the truck and I get a text from Valerie. Amy's all right. We've got her. Then, of course, I realized then it was a scam. I thought it might be, but I didn't know. But I got that text and I tell you all oh, the, I can't tell you. <laughs> I can't tell you the uh, burden that was lifted at that moment, knowing that my grandkids and my daughter-in-law and her mother were okay, that it, that it was a scam. So when I got the text, I said to the guy, I said, hey man, I want you to listen to me. I know this is a scam. You just got a thousand dollars out of me and you're about to get another. I said, but I know what you're doing. I said, my daughter-in-law is safe. I just heard from her. And I said, here's the question, though. What's going to happen to you when you die? I said, I've shared with you about Christ. Now, I was expecting at any moment, Dr. Ballard, for him to hang up the phone, you know. As soon as I told him it was a scam, I, and it was, I found out, I expected him to hang up. But you know what? He, he, he didn't. He listened. And I shared with him one more time. Man, what you need is Jesus. I said, I'd love, for you, I'd love to share with you how you can have him right now in your life. I said, but I, I can't make you accept him. And he's not hanging up. And I finally said, are you hearing me? And he said, yes. And I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you 10 seconds. And I'm going to give you a chance to respond to Christ. I'm going to count to 10. And if you hang up, or I'll hang up at 10, and you, this is your chance. So I said 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. And I got down to 3, and he said, I want him. And I said, you sure? He said, I do. I want him. What do I do? I said, let me tell you, and I... I said, we can pray together right now over the phone. You can pray and you can ask Jesus. He said, do you know where I am? After, he did pray and ask Christ in his life. It was, it was great. And then he said, do you know where I am? I said, probably in Mexico. And he said, yes. He said, I'm in a Mexican prison. He says, very corrupt, and this is what we do to make a living. We, we bribe the guards. They give us phones. And he said, I have a team of people, and what we do is call people. And we try to get money because we need that for food clothing and everything else we need. They don't help They don't help us down here. I said, well, I'm going to tell you what. I know people that can help you. I said, you need to get out of this lifestyle that you're in. I said, you're going to see now that God's going to begin to work in your life in ways that you can't imagine. Do you have access to a Bible? He said, yes, I do. I said, I want you to start in the Gospel of John. Then I want you to go to Romans. And I want you to see what God has done for you and, he, and you're going to watch. He's going to do something in your life. He said, well, would you pray for me and my guys that we can make uh, more money, that we'll be successful? <laughs> I said, no, no. No. I said, I'm not going to pray that you keep doing what you're doing, but I am going to pray that God's going to use you to be an influence on them. So I'm, by this time, I'm driving back home. I'm almost home. We are talking the whole way for 30 minutes after the scam. And then at the very end, he says, is it all right if I call you back? I said, yes. 
please do. I, I tell you that story. It was a scam. Thank God it was a scam. But it, for three hours, I did not know that. And I was thinking I'm about to lose precious people uh, in my life. And I, I knew I would do everything I could. I'd give every dollar I had to get them back. But even then, I wasn't sure that I'd ever see them again. And this verse that I'm sharing with you today said more to me then than I can tell you. Because I was at peace in the midst of the dark clouds, in the midst of this storm. And I want you to know this today. This world, <laughs> it's not going to get much better. And if, if you dare to live for Jesus in this culture today, it's going to cost you. It's gonna, you're going to pay a price. And you've got to ask yourself, am I willing to pay that price? Most of us, when it starts costing us in the pocketbook, that's when we say it ain't God's will. God would never make me pay $10 for that. No, I'm telling you, if you're going to dare to live for Jesus, get ready to pay the price today in this culture. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to do. If we read the New Testament, those guys, hey, they were paying a price. How many times were they in prison? Some with their heads cut off. Uh, you can just read one after one, stoned, beaten, shipwrecked. Look at Paul's life. All of these things happened, but they never stopped. Because the gospel is too important. They knew what the world, their world needed, and it's the same thing our world needs today. So I want to challenge you to live it out for Christ. Now, I want to close by telling you this. You know, our God is a good God. It just so happened that was the Sunday before this trip. A church down in uh, Texas is one of our, we have some supporting churches, about 10 now around the country. And uh, they had already asked me to share that door message Sunday morning at their church. And uh, they took up a love offering. I didn't, they didn't know anything about this story. I had just told the pastor uh, in the, just before the service, uh, first time I'd ever told anybody what happened because it had just happened a day or two before. And he didn't say a thing about it. They took up a love offering for the trip, not for anything else but for the trip. It was $998. And uh, I thought, wow, you know, <laughs> I just dropped 1000 and here's a love offering for $998. Well, here's, here's the rest of the story. That night, a lot of times I'm in two different towns in, two, in the same day sharing. And that night I had driven up to a place called uh, New Boston, Texas. It's near the Oklahoma line. And uh, a Methodist church, you know, they're going through a lot of things, United Methodist, and this guy was one that was leading his church out of the United Methodist deal. A lot of them are voting to get out because of their changes that they've made. And uh, they had never had a revival in that church. And it's a nice church. It was only about 25 years old. It was a, a, a plant off of another church. And he said, this is the first revival we ever had, and we're having you as the first speaker on Sunday night. And then they had two more after me the next two nights. So I shared the door message and uh, we gave the invitation. And uh, near, the end of, at near the end of the invitation, a lady came down. And uh, she, come to find out later, she was a, the wife of one of the founding members' families. Her husband was the son of the founding members. 
And uh, she came down and she, she spoke to the congregation. She said, I have made a commitment to Jesus Christ tonight and I'm so thankful and thank y'all and tears were in her eyes and it was just a wonderful thing. The service is over, I'm talking to the pastor. We're just down there talking for a minute and I tell him, man, it's a great idea that y'all have this revival. And he was so excited because this one lady, I guess was a key lady in the church. And her husband comes down and uh, he, he uh, shook my hand and then he handed me uh, some money. He said, I want to give you this. I said, oh, no, no, I don't want anything. He said, no, no, take this. And it was, all I could see was a $1 bill folded over. You know how, how it is? You just fold it over. It was a $1 bill showing. I said, you don't need to do it. He said, no, no, no. He said, take it. He said, every time I empty my wallet, God always fills it back up. And so I said, well, thank you. And I just put it in my pocket and was continuing my conversation with the pastor. I'm leaving. I go to Walmart to get a Diet Coke. And when I get the Diet Coke, uh, I'm reaching in my pocket to pay for it. It's only a dollar. And I thought, oh, wait a minute, I got a dollar right there. And I, I took the dollar and when I opened it up, you know what was under that dollar? Twelve $100 bills and four 20s. $1,281. And I thought, oh my goodness. Not only did God restore the thousand I lost, but he gave me the money for the, you know, for the help, to help with the trip up here that they were given the donations with to start with. I challenge you, dare to live for Christ. Amen. Make a difference in this world. Right. We're going to be out tomorrow sharing Christ and crosses, and some of you are going to be out there with us. We're going to have a wonderful time. I want you to see what God does with these things. Could I pray with you? Lord, Lord, right now, I thank you for this time. Lord, I, I just know you put this on my heart to share. And I pray, Lord, that maybe it speaks to hearts. But, Lord, help them to know that in the midst of whatever trials they may be facing, that our trust is, should be and is in you and in you alone. Thank you for loving us like you do. Thank you for caring for us like you do. In Jesus' name, amen.